0: What an honor it is to get to wrap up uh, this year with you, and uh, specifically what an honor it is to get to wrap up the book of Romans today. So if you're new, just so you know, we've been going through the, Rom- through the book of Romans uh, this entire year. We started it in the fall, and we have been chiseling away at it uh, verse by verse, and so today we will be in Romans chapter 16, and I'm going to wrap up the entire thing. Uh, let me give you a little insider scoop on um, just preaching so in seminary and preaching classes, they're going to teach you like a good sermon. You should like have, you know, from the text, what's God's word saying, and then build around that, and really what is the the big idea of what God is saying, and and how do you really support that, Uh, and and you really should try to keep it simple and clean. This sermon is not going to follow any of the rules, just so you know. Uh, We're going to be all over the place. It is going to be a fire hose, and yet it's God's word, and so there's this confidence that we have that it won't return void, and so um. Yeah, be, be ready uh, for what's about to happen, and so all of chapter 16, which has some really awesome stuff in it, um, a little, little bit of recap is what we're going to do um, of how we got even here to chapter 16 um, and, and what's happening in the book, and then we're going to uh, see some observations come out, and I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture for you guys, and it's going to be like a fire hose, and we're going to make a couple of, I think, really important observations. And then we're going to land on this caution that Paul gives. Uh, it's his final caution to these people that he loves uh, in the church in, in Rome. And so we're going to land on that caution and figure out, okay, how does that apply to us and how do we leave here changed, okay? So that's where we're going. Let me, uh, let me set it up first by, by honestly just recapping how we got here. So I'm going to try to do this in three minutes. Who's got a stopwatch? Somebody with a stopwatch, time me here. Front row, Tristan, you got me. Stopwatch, Okay. <clears throat> Here is the book of Romans in three minutes. You ready, bro? Yes. Chapter one in Romans, if you remember, what happened in chapter one was uh, everyone was sinners, right? Everyone had traded. Uh, God for for not gods, and they were worshiping all of these awful things, and they were awful, and they were sinners, and we see all of them are sinners. And then we see in chapter 2 this transition where Paul then says, us. He goes from they, 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 they are sinners to us. We are sinners. We're all sinners. It's this total downer. Then in the middle of chapter 3, we see the climax of the bad news of the first Two and a half chapters, which is that everyone is sinners. Everyone deserves God's wrath. And yet in the middle of chapter three, we see the gospel show up. And the gospel shows up, and it says that, man, even though you are a sinner, right, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so we see the gospel show up in chapter 3 of Romans, and then chapter 4 starts talking about, okay, this idea that we're saved by grace through faith. Here's an example of faith in the person of Abraham. And then chapter 5 has this idea of, well, well, but we were always sinners, and Christ always loved us when we were sinners still, and he called us to something better. And then chapter 5 ends with this. The more you sin, if you're in Christ, God's grace will abound. The more you sin, God's grace will abound, which then leads to chapter six, which asks the question well, if I just keep sinning and grace abounds, why don't I just keep sinning? That means I can just keep partying, keep doing whatever I want, and grace will abound. And chapter six answers that incredible question no, you wouldn't be understanding what your surrender to Christ looks like if that's how you lived. You'd be missing the whole gospel. And then chapter 7 talks about, here's what the law looks like. And then chapter 8 talks about, now here's how you live in Christ, in the Spirit of God. Here's how you walk in the Spirit of God. Then chapter 9 hits. And chapter 9, 10, and 11 are the deep end of theology. Remember 9, 10, and 11? There was a lot of crying, a lot of frustration, a lot of angry emails. Um, But chapter 9, 10, and 11, we look at the sovereignty of God this incredibly powerful God that's been telling this story, making this argument of who he is, and we start to see he is in control and he is powerful, but he is also massively merciful. And so we're in the deep end of this theology. When we get to the end of chapter 11, chapter 12 begins, and it says, therefore. And chapter 12 says, therefore, in light of everything that's happened, in in light of who God is and who we are, therefore, I urge you, brothers, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then chapter 12 begins this section that Paul just ties into application. If all of this is true, then this is how we apply it in our life. And so chapter 12, we, we get this idea of being living sacrifices, uh, chapter, what it, what it looks like to be a mark of a true Christian, um, what it looks like in chapter 13, to submit to authority, remember that, and how to, how to fulfill the law through love, how not to pass judgment on one another, how not to cause someone else to stumble, all of these things. And then last week in chapter 15, we get to this idea of um, Paul starting to wrap up his letter and starting to say, Man, this is what discipleship has looked like. And he starts getting real scinty with his, his church and he says, Man, I have loved to disciple you. And, and we start looking at what discipleship looks like, all which leads to now chapter 16. How'd I do? Three minutes and seven seconds. I'm going to do better next service. <clears throat> I, wa- I want you to see, I want you to love, I want you to love God's word, guys. It's so good. It's so good and it's so rich and it ties together so beautifully. And what God does in his word and how he reveals himself and how he reveals us is this beautiful, unbelievable thing. In the book of Romans, the reason we picked it this year was because it's such a sweet view of so much deep theology of who he is but I want you to know it and I want you to love it and I want you to find places where you just get to sit into it. And this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I don't know what's next for you. I don't know if you're graduating or even if you're going away during the summer, stay in God's word. It is rich. It's so rich. So we're going to finish chapter 16. It's been this beautiful story that the apostle Paul, that the Holy Spirit has been telling through the apostle Paul that has now led us to this place, chapter 16. And here he goes. Now, Here's what's about to happen. <laughs> as, if that wasn't, as if that wasn't just a fire hose um, that was probably hard to track. Here we go. I'm going to read 16 verses to you, which they say in preaching school you shouldn't do, but I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to read 16 verses to you, and it is going to be some of the most riveting verses you've ever heard, and I can't stop because it's too riveting, so I'm just going to read the first 16 verses of this chapter, then we're going to stop, we're going to slow down, we want to make some observations, okay? We'll throw it up on the screens, but read along your Bibles if you got them. I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation, so yours might be a little bit different. <clears throat> if you want, you can just read it off the screen as well. Here we go. The beginning of Paul's last chapter of Romans, he says this. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisia or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanius, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apollias, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, great name there. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mom or mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegion, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermos, and the brothers who are with them greet Philogius, Julia, Nereus, and his sisters, and Olympos, and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Yes, how good is that? I had to phonetically spell all of those names, and I've been working on this for four weeks. Uh, yeah, right. This morning is going to be fun. This is awesome. This is God's word. 16 verses of shout-outs, right? Just Paul giving shout-outs to anybody, right? The guy who gets the milk for me, I want to shout him out. And, oh, Doug, don't forget about Doug. <clears throat> Shout-out. Okay, so what do we do with this? Here's, here's something I think is so important. Um, man, I, I want you to see this. I am sweaty from reading names, also the lights, but largely the names. I loved Rufus and also Mary. That was a good one. Okay, um, what do you do with this? Here's what what you don't do with this. And this is just a little, I'm just going to go on a couple little rabbit trails here. Apologize, there's going to be a lot of that this morning. Um, You don't skip it, right? You don't skip it. You don't skip the word of God. You say, okay, what is this? What what do we see here? What's God teaching us here? What are some observations we can make about this? And so there's two big observations that I want to point out. And honestly, there's probably hundreds here. But just for the sake of this morning and because I want to get to this caution that comes in verses 17 through 20 that I think is really important for us, um, I want to just cover two observations from these 16 verses of shout outs that Paul does. And the first one is is this, Um, there is if you've been around the church or evangelicalism, right, the modern-day Christian church is another way to put that, um, you have maybe picked up on the fact that it feels like at times, man, the church, certain churches don't feel like they're super pro-women, and here's what I mean by that. Um, that You'll see kind of these shades of certain churches or denominations or places where it's like, well, wait a second, man, there's a lot of guys on stage and do they really honor women and are like, if I'm like full into like interpreting the Bible like fundamentally and correct and authoritatively, does that mean like women have to be very all like very subservient and kind of in the background because this is a very guy heavy book. And so what, what do I do with that? And so there's a lot of misconceptions of evangelicals who maybe don't value women in ministry. Here's an observation I want you to walk away with from the 16 verses I read. There is an unprecedented value of women in ministry. Women in ministry, there is this value that God gives them, and even in these 16 verses, women's names are dropped all throughout this passage by Paul. Let me just point out a few things. One, the first person he mentions is Phoebe, a, a woman, and most people believe that's because she was the one who is actually delivering the letter that he wrote to Romans to the Roman church. She was the one who showed up and said, here it is, which means she most likely, most commentators and scholars would say, most likely means she's also the one that as they read the book of Romans for the very first time 2,000 years ago, that the person that they're like, oh, hey, could you explain some of this stuff to us? Would have been Phoebe, would have been this woman. Paul would have made sure she understood what she was delivering and what she was handing off. There, There is this unbelievable value that is set right off the bat there's an honor, right, that, that she would have been the person to maybe help answer some of the questions. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are a married couple, and they, they pop up a few times uh, in Paul's writings and in Paul's shout-outs, and their names are always together. It's not, it's not Aquila and his girl. It's Priscilla and Aquila, and, and she gets top billing, too, every time he says their names, which is a place of honor. Mary, Junia, Tryphania, Persis, the mother of Rufus, Julia, sister of Nereus, Olympos. We don't know much about these women, but we do know that Paul loves and respects them. All of this reminds us, just as an observation, of how important and valued women are in ministry by the Apostle Paul. And there's a lot of people who would critique and, and say, oh, Paul's you know, misogynistic. But if you actually study Scripture, if you actually read Scripture, he honors women, elevates them, uh, in incredible ways. And we see that all throughout Scripture in just unprecedented ways in a culture. At the time that that would have been massively countercultural, uh, the Bible steps into it. And that's that's been my experience too right, in ministry even still today. Um, in fact, this observation that I'm, I'm dropping on you guys about what we see in these 16 verses about women, that observation was actually first pointed out to me by my sister in Christ and a co-worker. Her name is Kristen Hines. She's on our women's ministry staff, and I have partnered with her in ministry for 10 years. She's unbelievable. She's unbelievable, godly, a godly woman. She knows God's word. She has taught me so much she was the one who's like look at this observation and how, how how amazing is this she's taught me about God's word she's taught me about who he is and who I am in light of that she's partnered and challenged and chiseled God has used her to shape the pastor that I am um, I, I can't go without also I mean my wife my wife Danielle is my partner She's not just someone who stays home and takes care of the kids. Like she shapes who I am. She disciples me. I am I'm inspired and challenged by who she is and how she loves the Lord. And she speaks truth into lies that I believe all the time. Right? That, that happens all the time. Um, and this ministry is full of college students, women, female college students who have shaped this ministry, who are the backbone of this ministry. They are leaders. They are women who I look up to and I admire. If you have ever been around Lauren Lucart or Catherine Gaddy, if you have ever been around Emma Rhodes or Maddie Volding, if you've ever been around Ashley Kate Gregg and had her speak into your life or Paige Hudson, if you've been around Kaylee Westra, Kaylee Westra doesn't just sing for us. Kaylee Westra leads us in worship. On the stage and off the stage, if you've ever been around her, she leads people to to worship God. This ministry, and there's a hundred other women Certs and Sam and uh, and if you were ever around, Live Shin, just these incredibly godly women who just shaped this ministry, and and so all the time it happens because the culture and the setting, it looks like okay, well, where are women valued? They are the backbone, and so I say that little rabbit trail for a couple things. One, if you are a woman, be encouraged be encouraged that you have an unbelievable role and place in ministry, not just Christ Chapel College. I don't care about the banner of Christ Chapel College. I mean, in the church as the body of Christ, you have an unbelievable opportunity that, that a lot of you I've seen are taking advantage of. And so be encouraged and step into that with boldness. And if you are a man in this room, don't, don't feel threatened by that. Be an encourager to your sisters in Christ. Who, who are challenging and shaping who God is in, in sweet and godly ways and, and be men who, who, honestly, for me, it feels like catch up, right? Just speaking from my own conviction, some of the godly women in my life, I think, man, they are challenging and inspiring me in sweet ways. And so that's that's one, I just think, really important observation that I didn't want to miss. I didn't want to skip through the 16 verses of shout outs and miss that. And here's the other observation. The other observation by this I mean, half a chapter of just Paul, this person, and this person, and this person, and this person. Christianity is a team sport. That's something we take away from this chapter. Christianity is a team sport. We are not designed to do this thing on our own. We are not designed to function as solo Christians, just kind of navigating. We've got our own little quiet time, and it's us and God, and then we compartmentalize it. We are called to be in community with other people. We are called to partner with other people. Uh, There are over 25 specific shout outs of other people that Paul is is connecting with and praising and and giving affirmation to and and saying hi to. He uses words like kinsmen. He uses the word fellow workers constantly throughout those verses. He said, they risked their neck for me. He calls them his family. This thing is supposed to be done in community, guys. Your faith is by grace through faith in the one who loved you. And gave himself up for you. But also, it's, you're designed to live out that faith in a community of other people uh, who should be coworkers and family members and, and kinsmen redeemers and, and, and kinsmen in your life. And they risked their neck and you risk your neck in that partnership. Galatians 6.2, Paul tells a, a totally different church. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And that's what you're called to, to bear each other's burdens and in doing so, fulfilling the law of Christ. So partner well, right? Partner well, find other believers and partner well with them. Find community that knows you and you are known by them. And if, and if you look around and you're like, man, I just, I can't find that and I can't seem to get into this community, I can't, then don't be a victim and just say, oh, I just can't. You know, take responsibility and try harder and be bolder. And do whatever it takes to say, I'm designed for community. And yeah, it's hard, and there might be communities that aren't the right fit, and that's okay, but go find people who love Jesus and know the gospel and are walking in the truth of the gospel to speak into your life and for you to speak into their life. And if you can't find it, keep looking. Keep looking and take responsibility. Don't wait for somebody to put that on a platter for you. Go fight for it. This summer, if, if you have sweet community here in, in this city and you're going somewhere else this summer that you don't have sweet community, then fight for it. And if, and if it's just not there, then you tell people here, well, can we do a call? We all know Zoom really well now. Can we do a Zoom call once a week and just check in and we'd be praying for me? You are designed for that. Don't go solo. Last section. You ready? Last section here is chapter 16. We're gonna go 17 through 20. I'm, I'm just gonna read 17 and 18 first and we're gonna see a big, sweet, heavy caution here. Here's what he says. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such a person does not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Here's Paul's final caution. this church that he has spent 16 chapters cautioning and warning and teaching and showing. His final caution is he's starting to say, hey, there is going to be division around the corner. Division and obstacles are gonna be waiting for you. They are gonna be waiting for you. And so what you need to do is you need to hold fast to what you have been taught. You need to be hold fast to the doctrine, to the truth that you have been taught. Hold on to that because you are about to get tossed to and fro and you need a pillar that is grounded to hold tight to. Hold fast to that. And so what we do with this, how we walk this out in our life is as believers, would we live a life rooted in truth? That we would live a life rooted in scripture. The doctrine that we've been taught right, the the truths that we've been taught, would we make those roots go deep into what God says is true and what God says who we are and who he is? And would we be a people who live life just rooted in that scripture? And that's Paul's caution. He says, hold on to this doctrine that you've been taught because you're about to get thrown about left and right and there's going to be a lot of smooth talking people who are going to give you lots of other things to believe and lots of other things to build your life around and so hold tight to that and so a few questions for you of if you're living a life rooted in scripture just to challenge you to walk out of here to say okay how do I how am I doing this am I doing this well first question is do you believe that this is where you'll find what is true if, if we want to live lives rooted in the Scripture, I think we have to start with the idea of, do I actually believe that this is where I'm going to find truth? We do here, right? We believe that here. We believe that this book is God revealing who he is. right? This is him showing us who he is as a God. Do I believe that? Um, I, I think oftentimes I've heard people say... Um, I've heard people say that this is a book of rules. We we don't see this as a book of rules. Um, There are amazing uh, guidelines and rules to follow and black and white things to be obedient to. But I think it's more than that. Uh, We we see, I've heard people say uh, that this is God's love letter to you, which is a cool thing to say, I feel like, at a youth camp. Um, but, But I think it's more than that. And I think there are aspects of this that are absolutely that. Right, absolutely that, and so not a knock on that, but I think it is more and deeper than that. This is God saying, here's who I am. I'm gonna reveal myself to my kids that I love, that are floundering, that are broken, that are searching, that are looking. I'm gonna reveal myself of who I am and who they are in light of me. Do we believe that? Do we believe that this is truth? There's a lot of other options that you'll be able to have throughout the rest of your life. Right, even, even preachers, right? Don't take my word for it or a preacher's word for it. Is it coming from God's word? And I think the most tempting place that I'm gonna go to find what is true is I'm gonna say, I don't know that this is true. I think I'll determine what is true for me. And this feels more comfortable for me. Or I'm gonna shape God into this kind of image because this is there's some parts that are uncomfortable and I don't know about that. And it would be much easier if I could just If I could just swallow this pill over here, that God is this and he's okay with this and okay with that. And and instead saying, I want to know who God is. And so I want you to ask yourself that question. If you're a person who lives their life rooted in truth, do we actually believe this is where we find truth? And then second question is, do you have resources and community to keep scripture in focus? Right? Do you have resources in your life and, and even community in your life that's gonna help you see Scripture for what it is and to help keep it in line? Honestly, the Bible is intimidating. And I went to Bible college and seminary and I've studied the original languages and all of that junk. And it's still really intimidating at parts. And so it's okay to have resources to say what is the author of this book actually trying to say? One of the most dangerous questions you can ask is what does this mean for me? Means this. I'm gonna take this, right? That's really dangerous. Instead, you have to say, okay, what is he actually saying? And what does Paul mean when he says this? And there's all kinds of great resources. Reach out to us, I will send you some resources. There are Bibles that have commentaries attached to them where like you can read through a verse, you mean, I have no idea what he means there. And then I just scroll down, I'm like, verse 17, I don't know what that means. Scroll down. Oh, and it gives you context of what was happening or or something helpful or what that word means in a way that, like, you don't study Greek. There are resources and there are community, godly people who wrestle with, what what does this mean? If this is truth, let's fight for it. Let's understand it. Let's not be intimidated and just put it down. Let's not just take the easy way out and say this is what it means to me. Let's dig into what is God's word actually saying. And then the last question is, do you have regular rhythms of studying scripture? In your life, are there regular rhythms of studying scripture? Um, If we're to live a life rooted in scripture. If that's one of Paul's big cautions to us. Say, man, be rooted, hold fast to this doctrine. What do those rhythms look like? Cuz you are going to hit wave after wave after wave after wave of what the world says you are and how to find happiness and how to find satisfaction and how to whatever it is. I mean, those will not those waves will not stop coming. So are you finding time not because you got to check a list, guys? not because you got a, a checklist and God is, oh man, he's gonna be really pleased that I got another Bible study time and I got another Bible study, but, but so that you would be rooted and grounded so you could with, withhold and withstand what's coming for you. What do those rhythms look like? Verse 19 and 20, here's what he says. This is the last little bit of scripture for now. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. There's two cautions. One, let's live a life holding fast to this doctrine being rooted there. A second one is let's live a life marked by obedience. Right? Let's live a life marked by obedience of how we live we're planted in this, we believe this to be true, this says who I am and who God is and how he loves me despite myself and the grace of God revealed through this and how I'm called to then live in response to that, but then also I'm now called to live that life of response. He has shown grace to me and so now for our obedience is known. He says, man, your obedience is known. We see it. We see it and we rejoice Man, love what is good. Be innocent of what is evil. Stay away from what is evil. There is a call to do that. Man, we say every week, all the time, we say, man, we're imperfect people. We say, we're broken people. It's a room full of broken people. And we won't grow tired of saying that. But saying that we're a room full of broken people is is not the most important thing we say in that announcement. The most important thing we say when we say we're a room of broken people is that God doesn't want to keep us there. He wants to call us out of our brokenness. We're not called to stay broken. We're not called to stay in our disobedience. We're not called to stay in our sin. He calls us to something better. And he he paves the way for something better. That's what our God does. That's who our God is. And that's what he's called us to do. He's called us to be godly. Do you believe it? Do you believe he's called you to that obedience, to that godliness, to live a life where you where you look at your sin and you don't let it hang over your shoulders and you don't feel like you gotta fake it and pretend it's not there? You can own it. You can, you can own the fact that, yeah, we're broken, we got sin, but then you can look at it and you say, would I walk away from that? Would I leave that behind? Would you set me free from that, God? Would I confess that to other believers? Would we grow from that? Do you believe he's called you out of ungodliness into godliness. Romans 6, which we talked about, which Paul preaches, he, it's this beautiful question he says. We know God's grace covers us, right? God's grace has got you. But do we take that as a license to say, well, I'm gonna live however I wanna live. And Romans 6 says, is if that's how you're applying the gospel, as this grace card to say, well, my, my sin doesn't condemn me. So my sin doesn't have consequences. No, it has massive consequences, and we should run from it and flee it and confess it and bring it into the light and hate it. It will ruin us. If we hide us, hide it, it will ruin us. It will destroy you. Run from it. Flee it. Take it seriously, kill it. That's what we're called to do. Repent from it. turn from it. If you have resources and community to hold you accountable to that? Because again, remember, it's not a solo sport. You can't just grit your teeth. At least I can't just grip my teeth and be like, you know what, I am gonna be more godly. Yeah, I'm gonna stop sinning. I'm gonna be godly. And then just grit my teeth and do it. No, it is a lifetime of me surrounding myself with other men who know me and know where I've been and know what I'm tempted to do and know my sin and speak truth into it and grace, but also calling me out of it. Do you have that in your life? If you don't, fight for it find it. And if you have no idea where to start, reach out to us. We don't exist to put on a Sunday morning show, just so you know. Our church doesn't exist for the nine o'clock and the 11 o'clock service that happens in this room. Our church exists to walk with you throughout the week, to disciple you, to pour into you, to, to walk alongside other students who would then pour into you. We are imperfect at it. But that's why we exist as a church, as a body of believers. That's our goal, not to put on uh, this, which we think is good and sweet and important. It's to pour into you and walk with you as we walk with the Lord. Say, come along. So reach out to us if you don't know where that looks like. And so then my last question, last question in, in regards to can we live these lives of marked by obedience is are you walking with Christ in obedience? Is it happening? Asking yourself, God, am I walking in obedience? Are there areas that you're calling me to step out of? Are there patterns in my life that you have convicted me and here I am again and here I am again? I'm a 38-year-old pastor. I still have a lot of those areas. I think, wait, I should be over that. And this long maturity process in our lives To say, God, would we just keep walking towards you in obedience? Are you? Are you? And if it feels like you can't, and if it feels like when I say that, you think, ah, I've had that conviction so many times and I'm still stuck here, Ben, you don't know what I've done you don't know how stuck, you don't know how many times I've tried to get out of that and here I go again and you don't know the shame that I've experienced and you don't. If you hear that, you see that question, are you walking with Christ in obedience? If that question scares you because you can't seem to do that, let me remind you of how kind our God is. 2,000 years ago, our God Our God from the foundation of the earth knew that you couldn't do that. He knew that you'd sit in a coffee shop this morning and if that's your conviction, feeling stuck and frozen in your own sin and you can't quite be obedient, he knew that. Before the foundations of the earth, he knew that and he set forth this incredible plan to bring someone to save you from that, to set you free from that. And that's why we talk about the gospel so much and that's why we never leave talking about the gospel. And so the gospel is the truth that 2,000 years ago he showed up in the person and work of Jesus Christ and he hung on a cross and he suffocated and he died and he was buried and he rose again. And now we believe, we put our faith in that God for the forgiveness of our sins and for the freedom to walk in obedience. That's what we do. It is his kindness that he showed while you were still a sinner, while you still feel stuck and far from him, that you don't have to get yourself cleaned up so that he will love you. He loves you where you are. Do you hear me? Do you hear him? He loves you where you are. While you were still a sinner, I died for you, he says in Romans 5.8. And it's that kindness that we look at and we see what kind of God would do that. All of my shame, all of my sin, he still loves me despite that. And he calls me to something beautiful and he calls me to something better gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of us. Would we surrender to that? Would we stop trying to play church and stop trying to be moral enough and religious enough and say, I can't do it on my own. God, I put my faith in you and you alone and you can have my life. And he says, I will give you freedom and I will give you salvation. It is a free gift. And we say, praise God. What does it cost us? It costs us everything because we say our lives on our own. But in that, there is freedom. I hope you hear it. I hope the Holy Spirit takes the truth of his word, and I hope the Holy Spirit takes the truth of how he loves you, and I hope that smacks your heart this morning. And we leave here changed in awe of how he loves us. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for how you love us, You are so kind and you are so sweet to us. Your word is so rich. You revealed yourself to us. And we're grateful. Thank you for the gospel that we will never grow tired of talking and singing about. Thank you for the truth that you are the way for us. You are the only way for us, Father that there is nothing else that we would rather have. There is nothing uh, that might be better or more powerful or sweeter or more life-giving than you. So God, would we experience your gospel today in just rich and deep ways, all of us, those who have ears to hear it for the first time, that God's not calling them to be churchy or moral or follow a list, a religious list, but he's calling them to surrender to his grace, that they would truly have ears to hear that, that they desire to surrender their life to a God who is designed for them to be in a relationship, and for those who are in this room who have been walking with the Lord, would they leave changed? Would we head into this summer with continual appreciation of how you love us and that that would lead us to live lives rooted in truth and rooted in a life of obedience? For your glory, in the name of Jesus. Amen.